matters most in life. You look back on a year and things can start well and they can end kind of distracted, confused, broke, tired, a little more round. Things can end not where we set out from the beginning, if you know what I mean, right? So every year, I think there is a turning of the calendar, there's a turning of the page, a turning of the leaf, and we love to ask some questions, uh, direct questions about personal discipleship. We've done this, uh, I think, three years in a row, uh, right away in our first series in January. So I'm going to ask you some questions this morning to get started. So no wasting time. We're digging right in to the things that really matter about your relationship with God. Are you ready? Here's the first question. How active is your pursuit of God in the Word and prayer? Second question. Is the fruit of the Spirit increasingly descriptive of all your personal relationships? Third question. How often are you boldly sharing how God saved you with those who are far from Him? Fourth question. In what specific ways are you actively serving others in the church and in the community in which you live? Fifth question. How are you stewarding your resources? It is your time, your talents, your money, your relationships, your homes. How are you stewarding your resources to the glory of God and the good of others. This series is going to ask those questions. It's a six-week series. We're going to look at those five questions. This series is about discipleship. It's about living a faithful life of worship. Here, Renovation Church, we have defined a disciple as someone who does Just that. Lives a faithful life of worship. And we've articulated that faithful life of worship in a concise way. Not necessarily perfect and comprehensive, but in a concise way around the pursuit of God, the fruit of the Spirit, the sharing of grace story, the serving out of spiritual giftedness, and the stewarding of our resources to the glory of God. We're saying that is what following Jesus having a relationship with Him, and representing Him in the world really is about at the end of the day. So we're going to ask those questions in succession each week. But before we go into those questions, we have a more foundational question that we must ask and definitely answer. Because if we just run to those five things, those five things could quickly become a checklist of morals that we do to make ourselves feel good about our relationship with God. That is, we're always saying, well, if I'm reading my Bible every day, if I'm giving a little bit, if I'm, then I'm doing what I need to do. But discipleship is so much more than that. It's that, but it's built on something so much more profound. And that is the gospel. Disciples are those who hear and respond 
to the gospel. That's really what this day is all about, this introductory sermon in this series called Disciple. Disciples hear and respond to the gospel. So have you heard the gospel? Have you responded to the gospel? Or maybe this, are you constantly hearing the gospel and constantly responding to the gospel? You. You see, I think we've accurately uh, taught that it's not about you, right? We've always shaped gospel understanding, gospel identity from a corporate perspective. We are those who enjoy Christ and are saved by Him. We're trying so hard to push against individualism. It's not you and Jesus. But yet, at the same time, we want to emphasize personal discipleship in the series. We want to look you in the eyes. We want to stare you in the face. We want to get individuals, every man, woman, and child in this room, thinking personally about their relationship with God right on the 1st of January. And we want them, first and foremost, to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. So that's what we're going to do today. Amen? What else do we need on the 1st of January? Where else should we start a year than in the hearing and the responding to the good news about what God has done in Christ? We start, continue, and end there. So what is the gospel? Well, you could read the whole Bible to answer the question in a comprehensive sense. This is the gospel. But today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture from Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to go there. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. I'm sure you've heard it before. And yes, you need to hear it again. You may have memorized it, but guess what? You need to hear it again. We can't move on in personal discipleship if we're not engaging and meditating upon and building upon the gospel of Jesus. Let's turn there. Let's hear. Let's respond. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. He says to the Ephesian Christians, Paul, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. 
It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the Word of God. This is the Gospel. And all God's people said, Amen. There was one word, one phrase, maybe a couple, I don't know, that would describe your life apart from God. What would that word be? Some of you got to think back. Amen. If you could use one word, maybe a phrase, a couple words, to describe what your life was like apart from God, what would that word, what would that phrase be? It's 30 years ago since I first gave my heart to Christ and trusted in Him, but I can still remember the kind of uh, things that were going on in my heart and my soul even then. It, it feels like yesterday in many ways. Probably because I continue in some ways to wrestle and struggle with those same things even today. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about, even on the other side of salvation. I remember as a kid feeling so confused, feeling alone, feeling angry, feeling frustrated, trying to figure out who I was, where I belonged in life. What life was all about, like confusion about, what is life about, what is purpose, why am I even alive? What is this all about? Trying to find a sense of purpose, a sense of identity, a sense of community, just confused. But at the end of the day, if I were to wrap it up into one word, what I felt apart from God was lifelessness didn't know life. I was scared. I didn't have peace. I didn't understand what true love was or where community and identity was really found. I didn't know who I was. I just know what I felt. It was lifeless. There was an emptiness, a void in my heart. And then you look at the language that Paul uses here in verses 1 through 3, and that's exactly what he says. He says, you're dead in trespasses and sins when you once walked. You, you lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Basically, you're controlled by your passions. You're enslaved to what you need and want and demand in the moment, according to the mind and the flesh. Lived in slavery shackled. And you were by nature objects of wrath or children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. You see, these issues, this lifelessness, this death, spiritual death, was not just something that I sensed, but really it's a description of what all of us, at one point or another, apart from God, have known and experienced and felt and truly stood before God as dead. Some of you are thinking, I thought we were preaching the gospel today. Doesn't gospel mean good news? Now you're telling me I'm dead apart from God? Now you're telling me I'm subject to the wrath of a holy God apart from Him? 
This doesn't sound like good news at all. Man, this has to be an overstatement by Paul. This has to be extreme language to make a point. But it's not that. This is not an exaggeration by Paul. That, that in the gospel, we hear first and foremost, we come face to face with the reality of our sin, our brokenness, our depravity, the fact that when we don't know God, we're not in relationship to Him, and in our sin and disobedience, that we have been cut off from the author and the giver and the sustainer of life. That we are truly dead in our sin. So if you do not know Jesus, if you have not seen what He has done, which we're about to talk about, if you're apart from Him, your spiritual state before God is exactly what Paul says it is. You are dead in your sin. You do not know what life truly is. And that is the source of your emptiness. That nothing in this world that it promises you can actually fill you with. No matter how many times you go back to that thing that gives you momentary, temporal pleasure, it never truly fills. It never really gives you what you long for. That only the author and the giver and the sustainer of life can do. That in our relationship apart from God, when it's apart from God, there is lifelessness. It's, de- it's broken. It's void of that which is vital and real and good. Some of you remember that very vividly. It doesn't take much to share stories and examples of what life was like apart from God. What death in trespasses and sins really looked like. And yet, the gospel doesn't end there, does it? That's what makes it the gospel. And really it's important that we face our sin because we're never going to gain victory over an enemy that we ignore. If discipleship is about growing in conformity to Jesus, which it is, we are never going to grow in conformity with or gain victory over our enemy by ignoring it. We have to see it for what it is. And we will never truly understand the beauty and the glory and the joys And the celebration of the good news if we do not first come face to face with the bad news of sin. And so having seen that the gospel shows us the reality of who we are apart from God, dead in sin, we now see that in verse 4 it tells us what God has done. That God in the midst of us being dead in our sins does something to, to, to change our situation. That is fundamentally what the gospel is. That we were dead in sin and God acted in such a way to radically transform that reality for us. And the Bible tells us what he did. But God, the gospel reveals a God who does this. He made us alive together with Christ. He literally raised us from the dead, right? We were dead in sin, and the gospel says that through Jesus Christ, he resurrected us from the dead. If any man is in Christ, he is a what? New creation. The old things are gone. Behold, new things have come. 
He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, what happened was this. Jesus, the very son of God, came into the world. We just celebrated that. He came and he lived among us, as us, like us. He lived in a perfect, sinless way. And he obeyed the Father and gave himself to the divine purpose of laying down his life for us, paying the penalty of the sins that we have committed. And he, what, hung on a cross. He died and bled and suffered for us. And because death could not hold him, and because God is righteous, he raised him from the dead on the third day. And guess what he did in saving us? He said, yeah, that whole experience, that merit, that perfection, that life, that death, and that resurrection, now I'm going to unite a people to that work. Because they were unable to do that work. They were insufficient for that work. What I'm going to do is unite personally, actually, very meaningfully, Unite people to that work. His death is your death. His life is your life. His resurrection is your resurrection. His ascension, his seating in the heavenly places is your seating in the heavenly places. This is fundamentally the gospel, the action of God to unite us to Jesus and to raise us from the dead. That's good news. That, my friends, is the shocking nature of the gospel. We were dead, but God made us alive. And if you were to describe what God did, is that not how you would describe it? Maybe not exact terms, but would you not look back and say, yeah, when I was saved, God gave me life. He breathed life into me. He remade me. He regenerated me. He gave me a new heart. Isaiah 43, 18, right? I'm doing something new. I'm going to put a river in the desert. That was a classic misinterpreted verse for me as a teenager that I grabbed onto, right? Clueless about what it meant. Totally, but I was like, hey, God's doing something new. Putting a river in the desert, baby. But, you know, it was meaningful to me to see what God was doing. He was raising me from the dead. He was giving me new life. And that's exactly what he does for the people he is saving. Uniting you to Christ. Raising you from the dead. That's the gospel. The world needs to hear this gospel. And here's the thing. It's not just that we hear in the gospel what God has done. But we have also heard why God has done it. And this might even shock us all the more. Do you know why God did this? Because this is the kind of God that he is. In the gospel, we hear of the God who is merciful, who is loving, and who is generous. Look at what it says. But God, being rich in mercy, he's rich in mercy. Have you spent time in the presence of the true God who is merciful? 
You approach the God who you know to be as loving. God is love. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and gave his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God is a loving God. And guess what? He's also very generous, right? Salvation is the gift of God. He's generous. In the gospel, we meet a God who is merciful, loving, and generous. I don't know what your view of God is. I don't know how you would describe God. But if you're going to describe the God of the Bible, the God of the gospel, you have to use words like, He is merciful, He is loving, and He is generous. That's the gospel. And any discipleship, any discipleship, any pursuit of God in any way, shape, or form, any growth in godliness is an outflow, a response to a merciful, loving, generous God who has acted on our behalf to save us from our sin. Without that, there is no discipleship. There is no discipleship. And then, we also see that he did it because of his divine purposes. I always stand in front of the mirror and go, remember even as a teenager watching some of my friends really struggle, and I had my mess of struggles, but somehow the Lord kept me near to him. Somehow it protected me. And I see so many of my friends wandering and going so far and making complete havoc of their lives. And I pat myself on the back, not. But I look at my life, I see, why, Lord? Why have you saved me? Why have you kept me? Why have you prevented me from walking down that path or going down that road? It is no way, shape, or form a sense of self-righteousness. It's more of a, a confusion. God, why would you do this? And then we read this. The reason God does it is not only because who he is, but what he wants to accomplish. He wants to display the riches of his grace in kindness toward us who believe. The reason why God saves you by grace is that see, so he can display his grace through your everyday life for all to see. That God was writing a story. He was painting a picture throughout history. And that brushstroke on your life is grace. And when other people look at you, they're going to say, wow, there's the grace of God. That's what salvation looks like. So that it's not just a ticket out of hell. I don't have to go to hell. Amen. Someone should say amen to that. You are not going to hell because of God's saving act in Christ. But listen, here's the, here's the craziest part. He's radically transforming your life so that he can put on display grace for everybody to see. He wants to tell that story in your life. That's why I am who I am today. That's what God has done. He wants whatever's good in me, he's going to do so to display the grace and the goodness of himself to the world. That's what discipleship is all about. It's a gospel responsiveness that is putting on display divine grace so that everyone in your life gets to see it. So 2017, friends, are people going to see the grace of God in your attitudes, in your actions, in your convictions, in your transactions, with your spending, with your time? What is, 
What is the world going to see in 2017? Husbands, what will your wives see? Wives, what will your husbands see? Children, parents, bosses, workers, managers, brothers, sisters. What will they see? They see the grace of God? I'll tell you what, if you're not constantly hearing the gospel and responding to the gospel, they will not see grace, they will see sin. Because that's where we go, default setting. But in the gospel, we see why God is doing what he's doing. He wants to display his grace. And in hearing this, we recognize the beauty of the gospel in the sense that God does not save us because of our own merit. Amen? God does not save us on the basis of our performance. Amen? God does not save us on the basis of our works. Amen? God does not save us because we deserve it. He doesn't save us because we did a good job this week. His joy level and and acceptance of us does not go up and down based on our performance. Somebody say amen to that. But it's all because of Jesus and his merit and his performance and his work that, by the way, you have been united to. When God sees you, that's what he sees. Jesus, grace, they see the fruit of the gospel in your life. Disciples are those who hear the gospel. But disciples are also those who respond to the gospel. And that's really our point today. Disciples are those who hear and respond to the gospel. Even in this Ten verses, we see responses. What do we do with a God that has done this for this reason? What do we do? How do we respond? In the gospel, there is always a call to respond. You cannot not respond. He says this. For by grace you have been saved through Faith, right? Faith. What does that mean? That means when we look at what God has done in Christ, we look at it, we hear about it, we marvel at it, we're shocked by it, we're overwhelmed with joy when we think about it, but at the end of the day and throughout all eternity, we look at what he did in Christ and we say, I will fully rely upon his work forever, solely and wholly, I will believe and trust and build my life and eternity on this action of God. I rely and surrender my life to it. That's what belief is. It is not a, yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, oh yeah, no problem. Yeah, oh yeah. That's not faith. That's not biblical faith. You know we see that kind of faith all over the world. That's not the kind of faith that the Bible calls us to. Mental assent, a checking of the box when Pew Research does its statistics every year. Yes, I believe that there is a God. That's not what faith is. Faith, biblically, is I rest and trust and depend and rely 
fully upon the work of God, and I will do so in every aspect of my life forevermore. And I will give that kind of faith and allegiance to absolutely no one or nothing else. Singular devotion. Singular surrender. Singular dependence. That's what faith is. So the appropriate response to a kind of salvation that God has given to us is total reliance upon it. Is that where you are today? As you enter the new year, are you hearing the gospel and responding to it with complete, comprehensive reliance upon the work of Christ? You might say, what do I do in response to the gospel? Nothing. Christ has done everything. Rely upon it. And yet, we also see that he says, this is not your doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. There is no room for this kind of salvation for pride. There is no spiritual resume that is impressing God. You have not brought any merit to the table. It is all the merit of Christ given to you by God. And so when you recognize that you are a recipient of all of God's work in this gospel, on your behalf, you have nothing but humility and gratitude in response to it. This is an appropriate response to the gospel. Humility. Humility. How many of you live in a sense of self-righteousness. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm in the right place. Self-justification. I do the right things. I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not doing what she does. See, the gospel calls us to humility. Humility. We come to the realization that we brought nothing into the face of God that is worthy of saving, but it is only Christ. It is not our doing. This is the gift of God. Amen? And last, we see that the work of God calls us to do the work of God. Yes, works do not save us, but salvation does inspire within us works. The order matters. In our world, we get the order backwards. If I live a good life, God will accept me. We hear that all the time. If I'm just a good person, God will accept me. If I'm 5149, I'll be in good shape. But the gospel, this gospel, this work of God, right, is not one that is achieved through any of our own doing. Yet, this kind of work if it is powerful, if it is meaningful, if it has truly transformed us from death to life, will radically transform the way we live. And that's really what the next five weeks are all about. That disciples who hear the gospel respond to the gospel. And they do so with good works. Salvation leads to good works. Good works do not lead to salvation. The order matters. And guess what? It matters so much that it affects your eternity, which order you take. If you bring works to God, it will not go well in eternity. But if you bring faith 
in the work of God, then it will inspire life change in the transformation of your life. And guess what? It will lead to church partnering. It will lead to church planting. It will lead to serving in this community. It will lead to giving. It will be, we will give up so many things for the work of God in the world. We will serve with our time. We will give our resources, our emotion. We will do what we have been doing uh, maybe many times more over the last four years. We will live exhausted for the glory of God. Because the gospel prompts labor. It prompts work. I think so many of us approach our discipleship as a cup of coffee on a recliner. It's easy. It's good. It's my, it's my recharge. Relationship with Jesus is comfortable. It's enjoyable. It's nice. It's not work. There's no sweat and blood in it. But what I'm telling you is that when you come to faith in Christ and you see the work of the gospel and you recognize that people are literally dead in their sin and their trespasses, you are motivated to give the rest of your life to whatever it takes to see this action of God applied to every man, woman, and child from here to Timbuktu. You're willing to sweat, you're willing to serve, you're willing to bleed, you're willing to die to see every man, woman, and child come to a saving knowledge of Christ. That's what hearing and responding to the gospel is. Work. And this message is simply an attempt to orient us to the foundation of what discipleship is. And over the next five weeks, we're going to look at uh, some very specific things. And the, the ushers are going to hand out a roadmap, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to be all done. This is something that we've had for a couple years now that have been kind of a tool that we've used for personal discipleship in our formation groups, okay? You may have heard murmurings of formation groups, maybe at Missional Community, maybe seen some, some of the material out in the back. Um, basically, we're going to treat our Sunday gatherings over the next month like a big formation group. And it may inspire some of you to get involved in a formation group because 2017 is going to be a year where we take personal discipleship, the following of Christ, as our ultimate priority. Amen? Our first focus and priority is our personal walk with God, hearing and responding to the gospel. If you want to take a look at this, listen, I'm not going to go through this whole thing right now. We're going to go through it week in and week out. But let me be very clear. Do not leave this in your chair today. Take this. Hold it. Fold it. Crimple it. Crumple it. Put it in your pocket. Fit it in your wallet. Place it in your Bible. Write on it. Pray over it. Think about it. Spend some time in it. You don't have to feel like you got to get it all done by tomorrow because literally... Over five weeks, we're going to look at a page of this, a portion of this. But this is important. It's a tool to help instigate discipleship in your life, to help you hear and respond to the gospel in the way that you live. And it's going to ask those questions that I opened with every 
time you look at it, right? How active are you in pursuing God in word and prayer? Is the fruit of the Spirit increasingly descriptive of your personal relationships? How often are you boldly sharing how God saved you with those who are far from Him? In what specific ways are you actively serving others in the church and in the community? How are you stewarding your resources to the glory of God and the good of others? It's about hearing and responding to the gospel with life that is truly life. It's about being intentional about your walk with God. It's about being accountable to one another. By all means, meet with one another. Pray with one another. Have a coffee with some. Have someone over for dinner. Talk about it. If you're confused or frustrated, ask a friend a question. Seek out an elder or another leader. But do not ignore this. Do not throw it under your car seat and forget about it for a month. Take this opportunity to personally grow in closer connection to Jesus this year. Can we do that together? Because we're disciples who hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's do this. What else are we going to do? I mean, the Steelers are going to win the Super Bowl probably, but this is way better. They're probably losing next week because I said that. Maybe even to the Dolphins. But can we give our lives to this? Because this is life. Hearing and responding to the gospel. Let's pray. Every week, Lord, I feel like we've barely done anything. That we've scratched the surface, that we've poked and prodded with questions and maybe caused more questions and confusion. Lord, we've done what we have felt called to, that you've put on our heart, present a hearing and a clear responding to the gospel. I pray for every man, woman, and child in this room and downstairs that you would prompt us by your Spirit through the Word of God to hear and respond to the gospel in ways that bring glory to your name in every aspect of our lives. Lord God, will you do a mighty work at Renovation this year? there's anyone here today that has never heard of the work that you've done in Jesus and they heard it today and they said, yes, I pray that you would draw them into your kingdom and if they need any more questions answered or prayed with, that they would seek out one of the elders here. That's what this is all about, the gospel. Hearing it, responding to it, quicken our faith in you, deepen our humility and inspire us to bleed and sweat and work. You are our Sabbath rest. Heaven is our eternal home. And as we are here, may we labor and serve and give and love no matter what it takes to see every man, woman, and child here and respond to the gospel. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.